Welcome to Cordell and Cordell's Men's Divorce Podcast, moderated by managing partner and CEO Scott Trout, bringing you information for guys before, during, and after divorce, and everything related to family law. This podcast is not to be taken as legal advice, and no attorney-client relationship is established. Welcome to our long-promised series, The Economics of Divorce by Cordell and Cordell. Uh, Scott Trout is joining me. I'm Joe Cordell. And we thought that, you know, there's this incredible void out there in terms of information for people who are considering divorce or in divorce relating to the economics of a divorce. And this is not a societal approach. Yeah, we'll leave that to sociologists or something. I mean, we're we're domestic relations lawyers, so we have a different perspective, and we want to speak to people on a very personal level as to how it has a direct impact on them, their lives, their quality of living, uh, their retirement. We know that that the impact, and we t- we we find a lot of discussion out there about the impact as it pertains to uh, your family, stress, mental health. Uh, the implications for the mental health of your children. Um, the, the, these are big questions, and they can't be ignored. But for purposes of this series, we're going to kind of set them aside, and we're going to talk strictly from a financial perspective. You know, what what might be the financial impact to you and your family if, in fact, your divorce goes forward? So I guess we should start by talking about who this is for. right. And I've not used the the exact title of this mm-hmm. of this series of this particular episode, which will include three episodes in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's calculating the true cost of your divorce. Yep. I like that title. I do too. It's not as you alluded to. Some can think it's the emotional part, but it's really the financial part. But I, I think what's important is, I think many family law practitioners tend to overlook just this. And that is they, they hurry clients through the process. Let's go file. Let's go divide. Let's figure out a custody plan. And not really thinking forward about the ramifications of all those steps that you're taking. So the client's kind of brought through that process. And then at the end, now they see the result and could have made some real interesting choices that we're going to talk about in series two and three or part two and three uh, about the cost and really being proactive and uh, war planning and to that. So I think a lot of family law practitioners tend to just push people through the process. And I think this is why this podcast is such a great tool. Yeah. I mean, we know that uh, divorce lawyers, you know, prefer to make more money than less mm-hmm. like everybody else. So I don't want to demonize the profession in any sense by saying that, you know, it's very difficult to get a divorce firm to give you reasons that you may not want a divorce. I mean, certainly there are reasons to get divorced. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, you know, this mm-hmm. is what we do. But at the same time, the reputation of Cordell and Cordell, I can tell you, over the past 30 years has not been a firm that encourages divorce. I mean, we we are out there as as campaigning in many ways for people to think seriously about divorce before they do it. Um, and many people, and I'm glad to say that we represented a lot of guys where that was definitely the right decision, the vast majority of our clients, I believe. But still, it comes at a cost, and it comes at a cost in a lot of ways. And as we mentioned a while ago, one of those costs is financial, and that's what we're going to focus on. So when we when we pick up here with this series, we ought to kind of – maybe we can divide into categories mm-hmm. the way this information will be helpful to different viewers. Yep. 
So it, we, we kind of think of like three categories. Right. Do you want to run with that? Yeah, or? The first category really is uh, someone where you're at a point where you can have a conversation with your wife and you want to save your marriage. You're at kind of that precipice. Nothing's been filed. Maybe there are some issues, whatever those may be. And you're at that point in your life where you have the ability to really make a difference, influence the decision-making process, whether this divorce goes forward or not. And I think having an analysis and at least an understanding of the financial impact of those choices and even your wife or your spouse who that's the conversation is, look, we move forward. Here's what may happen for yeah. both of us. Yeah. And some of you, uh, like Scott says, some of you are in a, in a position to influence the direction this takes. You know, this is pre-divorce typically. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe something's been filed, but but there are some of you who are in a position to influence whether this goes forward or not. Mm-hmm. So we want to speak to you, but not just you. We know many of you are in other situations. Yeah, right, where you're in a divorce you never asked for. You didn't want. And you're we use the word conscripted into this divorce yeah. process. And so now... Uh, there's all these emotional things happening in your life and you don't know what to do. And we want to speak to those guys who are those, you know, those persons who are through this process where they don't really know what to do. They've been drug into it. And so you can make really bad choices in that. And I've always talked today at, at another podcast, I talked about every choice as a consequence. And sometimes you just make the choice and not consider the consequence. So we want to talk to those who are in that process of divorce, something's been filed, about to be filed, in the middle, at the end, wherever that may be. And then we're going to talk about the financial impact in the divorce process and what happens post-divorce. Yeah. And and so, yeah, the last category is kind of those of you who are in through the divorce process. Mm-hmm. So summing up, some of you may be able to avoid divorce. So it may be important for you to know what are the implications if you go forward uh, some of you are just captive to a process where you're being pulled through. The divorce is going to go through irrespective of what you decide. And uh, and you want to maximize the outcome. So information that allows you to look in, onto the distant horizon and thinking about retirement and other things, this is very timely for you, mm-hmm. especially timely for you. Uh, there are things you can do during the course of the process, uh, you know, considering settlements, et cetera, where you might want some things versus others. And then finally, there are those of you who've been through the process, probably recently, mm-hmm. maybe in the last few years, but but you uh, you maybe have not fully fathomed what the financial implications have been and will be to you. Because unless you think about it, it's it's almost as if you can go continue whistling down the road until finally you get to the point where suddenly your standard of living is changed. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can't retire as you had planned. Maybe you don't have the sort of resources that you need to assure that the balance of your life is of the quality that you want. So this information is very timely for those of you who are recently emerging from a divorce, but I'm willing to bet you've not thought about your financial future in the way that that we can help mm-hmm. you to think about it because we see it every day and we deal with it every day and not just in the divorce process, but thereafter. Yeah. And I think it's in the grand scheme of things, you may have looked at the process of divorce as the more difficult. But I think what we're going to present to you 
are the things that actually are probably more difficult and the choices you may or may not have to make in order, depending upon what your objectives and your goals are. And it may make the division of property and and the allocation of money seem easy in the divorce process when compared to this, because what I think the point of this is to, to allow our listener to have confidence and education, intelligence to proceed and make really wise choices down the road, either before, during, or after. So the way we want you to think about this is in terms of a plan A versus a plan B. And while there's some variation among you as to what your plan A was, meaning what your and your spouse's intentions and expectations were from life, there's a lot of similarity. And so we we want to contrast the road you were on, which we've dubbed plan A, mm-hmm. And contrast that with the road that you likely will or have found yourself on, which we're calling Plan B. And by thinking about it that way, we're assuming that Plan A was was the plan that you preferred, um, except for the divorce. And so now we want to to analyze your circumstances financially and otherwise to determine to what extent are those fundamental goals realistic. So toward that end, Scott, you prepared this graph. Yes, right. I mean, I think it's a great visual aid. Uh, you all are looking at it now mm-hmm. on the screen. Uh, it's a great visual aid. It it kind of, we're calling this is the Plan A version. Mm-hmm. And Scott, why don't you explain? Sure. It? The reason being is, is as Joe indicated, was everyone was or is there or wanted to be there still, and and in order to understand Plan B, and which we'll talk about wealth recovery in the next series or next part of our series here is to really understand kind of where we were and where you may be. And so we've kind of set the stage of uh, where you have a 20-year timeline here with whether you have kids or not. It's really a universal timeline, whether you have kids or not. Nothing really changes other than you may not have the expense or the event that's reflected on, on this timeline of children in school or an emancipation where you commonly hear empty nesters. So what we're trying to do is set this retirement age at just we're picking age 60. It may be different for all of you, but for purposes of this series is to try to set an actual timeline with an age so that we can show you what the choices may or may have to be with your savings, your lifestyle, your investments, whatever that may be. So what we have here is we've got your income, whether you're a single income or a dual income, then you have plus or minus 20 years of really wealth accumulation over your life from the date of marriage as you're continuing down that road. There are points along here where you have children and emancipation, emancipation being that legal term of officially dates of when the kids are really no longer under the rules and and regulations of a family law. And that varies. No longer a duty to support. Right. It varies state to state. It could be 18, 21, 22. It really, really varies. And so what we've done here is for the most part, plus or minus about 40 years of you accumulating over the marriage savings, where you include your lifestyle and where you will end up, and then retirement, so that we understand that at retirement, obviously, at age 60 or whatever that may be, uh, that'll affect uh, what you have to save. So we've just wanted to kind of really get it out there as understanding a visual of this timeline. As we talk about plan B, you'll get a better understanding. Yeah, and and each of these phases have very substantial financial implications. Mm-hmm. And and whenever you shift to plan B, it takes a different form 
and and in many cases, perhaps it might require adjustments, your standard of living. We'll talk about that more next time. But the bottom line is that this lays out what I think is is the largely the standard American plan mm-hmm. for a married couple. Mm-hmm. So with this as a template, you can move these these points any way you want. It doesn't change the fundamental of the fundamentals of the way we're going to address this. Some of you, we have dotted lines at the end at age 60 because we know some of you may want to work till 70. We know some of you, if you're age 45 or 50, then then you you may very well, after a divorce, intend to work a little longer. But others of you may not have children. We understand mm-hmm. that. But, but we know many of you do. So what you're looking at here kind of sets up the sort of phases that will, be in, that will be affected significantly, especially for those with children, in the aftermath of a divorce. Yep. So, so th- this is a way you, we can start out and think about where you are now or where you were at least during your marriage mm-hmm. and what changes might be necessary for you to emerge from this. So now let's, let's look more specifically at at what your plan A wealth accumulation strategy likely was in some form. Scott, you'll explain that. Right. It was before divorce and assumes no divorce here, meaning that what do we have? What does it look like for many of you who have an opportunity to change the course of events here? Uh, it assumes a 5% rate of return. We want to give you an idea of what it would look like at a normal retirement age of, say, 60, as we said on this uh, the prior slide, which you saw, which was a typical retirement age, assuming you have 100% of your assets, because we know at divorce, there is some division of the asset. Uh, you have $200,000. You're saving $2,000 a month, including some home equity. Uh, and here's your savings annually, $480,000 over 20 years. You have some investments. With that, you'll wind up with about $1.4 million of accumulated savings. You're still married at the end of your retirement age. So that includes all things in your portfolio, what we call home equity, savings, and, and anything else you may have. We wanted to just give that uh, a visual so you understand as we go down through the plan B, what can change and what things you may have to decide. Yeah, and keep in mind that that uh, we use 200000 too because it's a good way for you to do multiples. So if if some of you, it's four hundred or mm-hmm. 600 or 800 you know, you can easily... Uh, do this math. And and, and there, there's nothing heavy here. I mean, this is simple. Many of you have done these calculation that you see here with respect to your own numbers about what you expect to accumulate and and your, your rate of return over time and, and have someday when you retire. Some of that's tax deferred through 401ks or IRAs. Others, you know, it's post-tax dollars. But either way, you're familiar with what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. And we just use 20 years mm-hmm. as, a, as what we regard as very common for us is that, you know, if we were to have a median age, uh, at least of the clients of Cordell mm-hmm. and Cordell, I'd say that median is somewhere around 40. It is. Would you right. think? I do. So th- this is, this gives you a sense of where you are, mm-hmm. where ex- explicitly or implicitly. And now, now let's talk about kind of what are, what are the moving parts or the, the key considerations that that warrant our having this this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. In other words, so you get divorced, it, so you cut things in half, you divide it, and and we each go our own way. But it's not that simple. Uh, the implications for you financially tend to be substantially more complicated than most people realize. And and I I would argue many people do not fully appreciate 
the financial impact of divorce. Right. It, and, and there are a couple of moving parts, and that, that's one phrase we use to call it, or we can also call these key considerations. So I'm going to walk through these here, Scott and I will, mm-hmm. and keep in mind, these are the things that will weigh on the financial outcome for you 20, 30 years down the road, and in the meantime, for your standard of living. There's lots of decisions for you to make if, if you're confronting or have recently confronted divorce. Start out with the uh, income ratio impact. You want to talk a little bit about paying versus right. about it, maintenance generally. Right, maintenance in general. It, really why this is important and it's a moving part is, is your spouse working? What is the difference between what ratio? Is it 10 to 1, 5 to 1? That really will matter in terms of the choices you'll make and then the examples we'll present in the next part of our series about lifestyle. Uh, what happens you know, in the divorce, whether or not uh, your spouse receives alimony, spousal support, is a key consideration as you consider, what, when am I going to retire? What will I have? What will be my net income available to me to meet my own reasonable needs? Yeah, or, you, or you may be receiving maintenance. Right. We yeah. have to be careful Man-a-money. not to be sexist here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we have a lot of clients who get maintenance. Yep. So it could go either way. But, but Scott's point is that you know, for us to, to do the analysis that we're going to do during the course of this series, this is one of the factors that can't be ignored. Um, the person who is who is receiving maintenance, for example, you may think, oh, so they're going to have a windfall because they're going to end up, if they're children, let's just do something very standard here. Uh, let's assume that, that maybe mom might have the kids. It's not standard, but mm-hmm. let's assume that, that mom has the kids more than half of the time, and she also is going to get maintenance. Um, in that scenario, you may think, oh, so she's going to be really selling free, and her standard of living will not suffer. But our numbers over many years show that the bottom line is that there's not enough money going around. So if you try to take the same amount of money and take two households and split them up and fund both those households with the same amount of money, and and particularly the money from a single person. So even if you're not the sole breadwinner, if you're the 80% breadwinner of the family or maybe 90%, some, that, that's the reason we use the word ratios of income. Mm-hmm. Ratios really is one of the key factors, not the only factor, but one of the key factors that will determine whether there's maintenance involved in this divorce. Mm-hmm. So immediately when we have a new client, we're looking at ratios. It does, does one party make five times what the other does? And there's no magic number here. But it is something that when you're doing your planning and thinking about where you're going to be over the next 40 years and ultimately when you retire, you've got to think about the implications. And even it it doesn't necessarily mean if you're receiving maintenance that your quality of living, your standard of living is still not a problem. It probably is. And it certainly is a problem for the person paying it out, especially with the new tax. Well, the new tax laws, I guess, are more favorable to the payor. And I think I always try to think of examples to bring no, they're this, less favorable or less favorable to the payor. More, yeah, uh, you're right. Sorry about that. Uh, that really bring to life uh, what we're talking about. And that it, I was thinking as you were, were talking on this topic of being prescribed medication. This medication has significant side effects, and you aren't informed about them. You don't care about them, and you just take it. And knowing, not knowing what the side effects may be, they may be severe. In this matter, it would be yes maintenance, ignoring it. And I think all too often 
the practitioner and then family law just pushes us through the or pushes you through the process. This is the way it is. This is the child support you're going to pay. This is the maintenance you're going to pay. This is what happens with the property. You're giving up 50% and then not really knowing what that does in the end, in the long run. And that's why we're trying to bring clarity and information so you can act and know the side effects of your decision-making, the side effect of what happens when I'm paying maintenance or child support here. Yeah. And, and, and it's just a, an economic reality that if you if you take the same amount of money and spread it between two households, um, you're doubling up stuff. And you're you're now if you're going to have one party that has the children, even twenty percent of the time, even as little as twenty percent of the time, it still requires they essentially duplicate mm-hmm. what they had before in their previous home. Yep. So yeah, similar thing with the bedrooms. The bottom line is it doesn't exactly double all the costs, but it's real close. I mean, we've done this analysis for a lot of clients over the year, and it's virtually almost at mm-hmm. uh, 100% increase in terms of the total cost of living. Yep. And and think about that. It's like taking what you're doing now and cutting, cutting the income in half, keeping your expenses where they are now and cutting them in half. Uh, so in divorce, you're doubling your expenses and you start off with the same income. Now, it may not stay that way. When, in doing this analysis, one thing that we talk about is the probability that whoever's receiving maintenance, whether it's a husband or wife, whoever's receiving it, if they're young enough, there's going to be pressure and an expectation for them to become self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. So that has to be built into the model, thinking about the fact that that maintenance it, it might be a deal that you strike as a settlement where you'll know with certainty what your maintenance is going to be, which our clients crave. Mm-hmm. They want, they'll pay for certainty, meaning they'll, they'd rather pay a 5% premium and right. know that it ends in 10 years. Right. You, may, you may be thinking, 10 years? But 10 years is good if it's been a homemaker for 30 years and, and maybe you're in a court, particularly in rural areas, that may be inclined to grant you know, what is, in effect, a pension. Right, for life. Yeah. Until yeah. death. Uh, yeah, at, at least to retire. Right. And then that assumes that there's a retirement pot waiting for that person. Right. So we, we just felt uh, whenever, whenever we're thinking about moving parts and key considerations, we cannot ignore you know, the implications for a broad difference in the, in the income of the two parties, whether they're paying maintenance or receiving maintenance. Yep. Anything else on this point? No, I don't think so. Yeah, so so cost of living adjustments, though, which listed there is really the primary response, uh, and we'll talk more about that, but we just wanted to call your attention to this issue. Additional income opportunities. The bottom line is that, for the reasons I just mentioned, uh, you either are going to lower your standard of living or you're going to find an additional source of income. And And the good news is, there are lots of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now. The, right. The, our clients who have certain skills, especially IT skills, they yep. turn to the gig economy and mm-hmm. and can earn significant additional income. But it's part of the choice that we want to present is you may be, if, depending upon your goal, your objectives, which we'll talk about later in this series, you may be thinking, if I'm going to not decrease my lifestyle, I may have to get a second job, a different job. Take that over time. Find something that pays better or in the same job, but just whatever it may be. That's what we wanted you to consider is if this is your goal, this is what we'll have to do in order to reach that objective. And that's what I think every practitioner should be addressing with you, not just, again, pushing you through that process. Because when you get through it, now your goals really have to change. You haven't really thought about it, and you would have changed decision-making along the way. Yeah, and and you're you're really doing decision-making in semi-darkness if you're 
just listening to your lawyer tell you about the legal implications of the divorce. It's true, lawyers are often not the ones who are going to be the best experts on your managing your finances after your divorce, but, but they should be placing you in the hands of, or at least calling your attention to, issues that, that will be very, very meaningful to you in the aftermath of a divorce, particularly if these are issues that you can affect mm-hmm. during the course of the process or during the course of settlement discussions, which many of these things we can. We just gave you an example a few moments ago. You know, Do you want to have this sort of Damocles hanging over your head with maintenance where you don't know when or if it's going to end and there's lots of uncertainty? And, and when you have that uncertainty, it's hard for you to plan for your retirement so if you're going to go from plan A and end up with what we're calling plan B, which is your post-divorce plan, then you need some degree of confidence about what lies ahead. So you may want a settlement in which you can lock down your maintenance if you're the payer. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're the recipient, you may still want to do a deal because it does allow you to plan. You're not subject to it being discontinued you know, in two years versus right. a plan that called for you to receive it over four or five years. Plus, it allows you to go out and earn money. Yep. So that, that's a big deal. Get remarried, whatever it may be. Yeah, right. that's a very good point. There's lots of restraints on your freedom uh, to do the things you might otherwise do that are attached to that maintenance. And and if you can lock it in by a deal, then, then often that's yep. an advantage. So that kind of leads us to this next item here on our list, which is income and career implications with when you have custodial arrangements involved. It does change everything we've talked about just now on this page. Uh, you know, we've talked about you know the issues of standard of living. We talked about how can how do you compensate for the fact that you can no longer maintain the same standard of living with your previous incomes, uh, even if both were working. You know, you still you're going to have standard of living go down mm-hmm. for both of you, unless somebody does something about that. And and now we throw in this additional factor of children, and that limits your ability to fix that. Yeah. Talk about this. It, it's more complex, obviously, when you throw in another party, another group, another set, uh, because it may affect your job. Uh, depending upon what happens in that custodial arrangement, it may be equal time. Now, your job may be affected. You may have to reduce your hours. You may have to change jobs. That really is something you need to consider, and that affects the end retirement age as well. If you're going to change your job to accommodate custodial arrangements, or you have to do that. It also affects geographically where you are now, where you will be. If it, again, I've had week to week in order for week to week work, uh, you need to be fairly close in proximity. If you have school age kids where there's a lot of transition going on back and forth, it may be week on week off where I've had clients really consider about changing their job simply to accommodate that schedule, to live in an area that really isn't suitable to work the long schedule that they may or may not have had in their original job. So it's one of those things that I believe that is, it is more complex when you have custodial arrangements to consider, not just financially, but also just really uh, in terms of what those implications are for you. Yeah, financially, it's almost as if there is this perfect storm brewing uh, in that you have a number of factors that come together to create a, a financial crisis during the time in your life when you are likely most vulnerable and least able to fix it. And by that, I don't mean so much now at the time of your divorce, though you are incidentally vulnerable more so than you were before. But but I mean that that vulnerability increases as you age and your capability of solving it diminishes. And those of you who are older appreciate this more than those of you who are right. younger. So it's a perfect storm in that you you have this event occurs where 
your your cost of living is almost doubled. You have responsibilities that are split between you and your spouse that you know raise serious issues with your ability to continue what you're doing for a living. So you have a shortage of money. You have, in some cases, implications for your ability to continue working overtime, uh, your ability to work a second job, your ability to do your same job, mm-hmm. depending on what it demands. If you are pursuing primary custody, and many of our clients do pursue primary custody, then they've they've had to first, we've helped them develop a plan for how they're going to accommodate that. And that plan may be may conflict with their financial goals. Mm-hmm. Certainly what was originally called plan A right. is going to be compromised maybe by by their their set of priorities, which of course we applaud. Obviously your children are more important than your income. But at the same time, you know, you can't neglect that component. So when we look at this issue and we talk about geographical considerations, it, it's, it, that too is, is limited as a solution. And when you think about the many ways in which you solve a financial crisis, um, often it is geographical in the sense that you can move. And that's often where opportunities are. And we see that, we've seen that in recent, the past two years especially. Now when you throw children into the mix, then believe me, that, that capability is going to be very, very circumscribed. You will need the court's approval if you're a primary custodial parent. And if you have a 50-50 division, then you're in a similar position. Right. You are. I mean, how often does that come up that a party seeks to move? And courts are not very open to that mm-hmm. unless it's an economic necessity in yeah. some way. Right. And it does have to benefit financially. And it may be that's the choice you have to make. Uh, and it does impact custody. Uh, it, maintaining two homes with suitable arrangements is part of the problem two, three, four bedrooms in order to house those children if they're younger. That's what the court's going to require if that's what you want in a custodial arrangement. And again, uh, geographic relocations, that happens frequently, whether it's the spouse who's leaving or moving, you may have to pick up and move if you want to maintain those custody arrangements, or you may in order to reach your retirement goal to move to another state in order to secure a better job. Yeah. And it's ironic that Courts may be more permissive for a primary custodial or what will become a primary custodial parent when they move, even if they were maybe a joint parent locally, just by virtue of sheer necessity, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, the logistics don't work for a 50-50 plan. Ironically, courts are, are among the most influential factors is the extent to which there's a huge financial opportunity and quality of living and educational opportunity for the child that's not present locally. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, if we assume it's our client that is the, the, the parent who would not be moving, you know, if their financial circumstances are compromised in terms of their ability to earn money, and so the other parent is saying, well, gee, I do have this opportunity to compensate for the, the inability of the other parent to provide money for our child. Mm-hmm. I'm putting this in in right. lay language, but the point is, uh, courts will entertain it where it's not for a bad motive, and the relationship with the other parent can be protected, um, and and there are just huge benefits. But again, the good news is it's not easily permitted, and judges are very reluctant to let a parent take a child and go yep. if it means the other parent is significantly limited. But I but when I've seen that, the cases that come to mind often involve you know, a financial necessity. Mm-hmm. Right. And COVID changed and made it even more restrictive during kind of the 2020-21 where courts were really 
saying no relocations because it made travel much more difficult. You couldn't really exercise reasonable and frequent meaningful contact. Now, technology has worked for and against us in this regard. Mm -hmm. Now you see some courts up on the East Coast where they say Zoom is just as good as physical time, which is really uh, unbelievable. And when you think about what is meaningful, is that really meaningful? So I, I do see, though, many states... Uh, licensed in Missouri, Illinois, and Georgia, where they are taking a very hard line to relocations, and it's very difficult, absent an absolute necessity, and unavailability of similar income and career in that location. Yeah, and so the the, the final item we've listed on this page is is the retirement objectives revisited, and it's simply to say that these factors that we've talked about combined with the fact that you're taking the amount of money that you've accumulated so far, your pot, your retirement pot so far, and and in many cases, you're cutting that in half. Now, you can do different ways of dividing, you know, doing a settlement in a divorce, or the court can divide assets in perhaps another way that they think is fair and reasonable. But it's important for you to know what is advantageous to you because most divorces are, are settled as opposed to mm-hmm. being uh, decreed from the bench. And that means that there are opportunities to suggest, you know, a, a uh, package that would be advantageous to you and about which your spouse may not care. So uh, whenever I use the, the, the phrase perfect storm, it really is the fact that you're taking what you, many of us, many of our clients will be taking what they had before, cutting it in half, taking their cost of living, doubling it, you know, diminishing their free time and their ability to be available to pursue you know, without distraction, their their careers, many of them due to, you know, their their primary interest, which is their children. And, and then a lot of financial uncertainty moving forward, especially when there's maintenance involved, either for the receiver or the payor. So it, it's a confluence of factors that you can see whenever whenever we talk about the necessity of people thinking about or emerging from divorce and 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 considering their future, recalculating you know, what, what mm-hmm. their retirement plans are, developing a solid plan B, you can see why it's not an easy task. And, and it does set you back in a substantial way financially. Mm-hmm. And people need to know this, but it doesn't mean that they, that they necessarily shouldn't get divorced, but it does mean that they should develop a solid plan B. And that's really what we want to do with the series. And what we've talked about here on this particular slide, well, we will continue to return to these themes and these these considerations because there's so much that can mm-hmm. be said about them. We could easily have sat here um, and if we had stopped on income ratio impact, right. we could easily have, and maybe we should, maybe some point down the road we can take that topic about strategies relating to maintenance, payment, or receipt um, and, and talk about you know, what makes sense and how to calculate it and incorporate the tax considerations. And same thing's true for you know, how do you pursue additional income without jeopardizing your your position in a custody dispute mm-hmm. uh, or you know, raising the possibility that the opposing party is going to raise a motion to a modify where, oh, dad's not there a lot now. He's leaving the kids on the weekend with his parents. So the a, a motion is filed by the other party to say you should reduce that visitation time because really it's being given to the grandparents and not to the parent as the judge, as the court had intended. So even when you try to solve this problem to compensate for this financial impact, you still find yourself with these constraints, constraints that you, that you don't want to bump into, 
you don't want to be in a position where you compromise your access to your children. So you have to look for another solution. But the range of solutions is limited. And in the most simple of accounting terms, you either reduce standard of living or you mm. increase income. Right. You know, that's how you solve a, a financial problem. But it's it's not that easy. And furthermore, um, many of you will decide that perhaps, you know, you can extend the period of time that you work. And, and we'll we'll walk through these with you in the future, over the next two episodes at least. Uh, we'll be talking about ways in which you can solve this. And it's very practical to solve it but it shouldn't fail to get your consideration. Yep. So um, I know this whole discussion is long overdue. I'm glad we're getting to yep. it. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? I think it, what you said is we're going to create a wealth recovery plan and I, it, get excited because we'll do an inter- interactive tool in the next podcast where you can you know, use a link and create your own wealth recovery plan. And I think that's the good news is not just identifying uh, boulders, rocks, stumbling, or you know, walls that you have to climb over, but really solutions and how to get over it and get through it. Yeah, and I don't know whether we'll get that. That might be the third episode. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't want you you guys to be disappointed if we can't get that done. Our intention is is to to create something through Excel that allows you to do these calculations. Remember, this will always be a rough tool. It's always an estimate. There's not precision here. But, but I really like this phrase, moving parts and key considerations. All that's saying is if you know the moving parts, if you yeah. know the things that you got to think about, and, you know, some you might call key considerations, then at least even if you estimate wrong, you're probably not going to be wildly wrong. And it's still better than than not undertaking the effort at all. Right. I don't think there's much constant in the process of divorce. It is always moving. Yeah. Whether your income's up or down or the custody changes, there are moving parts throughout. And I think understanding that and then what the consideration should be. And I think that's a really good term. Yeah. And one other factor that uh, we didn't list here, uh, we might have listed here, is the transition costs mm-hmm. or accountants would use the phrase transaction costs. But there'll be more talk about that in our next episode. But I guess if I'm identifying key considerations, I just want to drop that uh, into your head that that you know another factor that you want to consider are the costs of the divorce itself and the things associated with it. So it's not just attorney fees. That's the the transition cost. Mm-hmm. So it's true you double your household costs, et cetera, over time. But that's a different point than how much money do you need to be available to to go from plan A to plan B and or what's involved in in the divorce. And yeah, much of it's attorney fees. Yep. Certainly. But child care, insurance, changes, whatever that, that could be part of the transaction costs as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah and there there's there's costs of selling real estate. Mm-hmm that will be involved. You may pay some tax penalties if you cash in some some deferred assets, mm-hmm. such as 401k. Some people, in order to pay for costs associated with a divorce, will sometimes do that. And mm-hmm. and so those are those are what we, I think a better word is transition costs rather than transaction costs. Transaction costs seem so cold. Yeah. It's an economic term. Right. Good. Uh, so we conclude now with episode one. Uh, we look forward to your joining us, and we'll pick up with discussion of plan B next time. See you next time. Take care. <laughs>